Welcome, hello, welcome to a relaunch of the Healing Out Loud podcast with me, your host, Jackie Shea. I believe that if you want to overcome obstacles and thrive in life, then fierce self-advocacy and hopeful connection through shared experience are necessary ingredients. Healing Out Loud is designed to bring you just that. Inspiring, relatable voices that have made it through their darkest days to ultimate triumph by advocating for themselves and engaging with empowering self-care tools. I want you to start thriving today. If you like what you hear and you want to stay in touch, you can follow me on Instagram at Shay Jackie. You can follow me at my website through my newsletter at JackieShay.com. And you can even contact me through there if you're interested in doing coaching with me. So today I am speaking with a recurring guest. She is a writer and teacher on the topics of humaning and healing. And we are talking about her new book, How to Heal Yourself from Depression When No One Else Can, Amy B. Cher. Hi, Amy. Hi, thanks so much for having me. This is so fun to be back. Thanks so much for being here. And we were talking about how we've never got to do video before. So it's so fun that I get to see you and I love our conversations. And of course, I want to talk to you for three hours about this book, but <laughs> that is not sustainable for anyone. So we're going to, I'm going to, I pulled some of the, the best nuggets, but it is, it is just, it is. I love it. <laughs> written up and, and dog-eared and all the things. Um, I love the book. One of the things I love about your books on healing specifically is that you are really good at making it doable. You're like, keep it simple. If it's five minutes a day, it's five minutes a day. So often we read these self-care books and these books on healing and it can have the reverse effect where it's like, oh my God, how do I do all this? And you're really about getting past that perfectionist in us. And at the same time, I'm going to let you speak in one second. At the same time, you're also really clear that it does take effort and that you have to do the work. So I love that about you. Thank you. And I think for me, you know, I struggled with chronic Lyme disease for 10 years, essentially, you know, a decade of my life. I've, you know, experienced anxiety, depression, fatigue, fibromyalgia, all these things over my life. And what I realized is that if something's too hard or too overwhelming, I might not do it at all. And it could be the best treatment, the best self-care practice, the best whatever, but it has to be doable. With that, you're totally right. I also say you have to do it because that's how it works. So I've tried to strike this balance that I've you know, in my writing and in my books that I've had to strike for myself, which is you have to show up, but it doesn't have to be for hours because that's, we don't always have the energy or for me, I'm super impatient. I would, I don't have the patience either. Yes. And it's so achievable. And I find that works best for me too. Having a similar background as you, that is what gets me going. Do you know about the new, um, neuroplasticity program, DNRS? Yes. I know a lot about it. So DNRS, works for so many people. But what I find with my clients that the barrier is this like hour a day for six months. And if you don't do it for an hour a day for six months, it's not going to work. And And it's like, that doesn't work for me. And I don't know. Yeah. I have, I get probably more emails about DNRS than I do about any other treatment or practice out there. And I always say, if you resonate with it, go for it. But I, I see just as many people spin out from it and feel worse than I do. I mean, I I have known people who have said, this is amazing, this changed my life, but I know as many or more people that became so overwhelmed by the stringent, you know, rules of it, that it, it became stressful. And when something feels stressful to us, it can undo the effects or it can make us worse. And so I always tell people, if that feels good, if you want that sort of rule, I have to show up for an hour. If you need that, or you want that, or that gives you comfort, go for it. If not, I always say it might be better to find another way before you pay for something and then also feel like a failure. Like I I missed a day. I have to start over. So that's such a personality thing with that program, but I know it well. (laughs) 
Right. But I'm glad you brought up how stress you talk about stress in your book and you brought up how stress is, it gets in the way of healing. So, so yeah. you really make this accessible and you did that in both of your other books that I've interviewed on, you on, you have three other books, but I've interviewed, interviewed you on two others. Mm-hmm. The, this is how I saved my life on your healing journey from Lyme and how to heal, heal yourself from anxiety when no one else can. And, um, so I'm interested in what, I know you have some personal experiences and if you'll, you'll get into a little bit about what drew you to writing about depression. Sure. So I always knew that I wanted to write three healing books. My first one was how to heal yourself when no one else can, which is geared toward people experiencing physical symptoms, ongoing physical symptoms. And then anxiety, of course, was the second book in that series. And then I always knew I wanted to write a third book and I could have written it about anything, about pain, about fatigue, about whatever. But my, um, my own experience with depression in my family and also at some point with myself sort of drove me to feel really pulled to this topic because it is so varied in its meaning. It is so varied in how people experience it. And I feel like it's confusing. It's the most confusing of all the topics I could have written about. So I hoped I could bring some clarity to it. And I feel like that because depression can happen to anyone and it can happen on varying levels from this sort of feeling blah or blue to really not being able to get out of bed. And in my, I'm in my early forties now, but in my late thirties, after I had healed from chronic Lyme disease, after I had a thriving business, after I had written books, I actually experienced my own sort of version of depression. And it was at a point in my life where I had everything I always wanted. And it was really confusing why I felt like shit when I had everything I wanted. And that's what helped me to really understand depression in a new way, being the literal depression of self, the literal pulling down or pushing down of who we really are and the disconnection we can feel from ourselves. And sometimes that shows up when we have everything we wanted because we finally got everything we've been working toward for the last 10 years, but maybe that's not what we want anymore. Maybe it's not what fulfills us. Maybe, um, you know, the last few years have just been so tough and we've been buried by our own stresses, but it really helped me. It helped me gain clarity on how important this topic is, not just for people who can't get out of bed, but also for people who are just kind of like drudging through life. And, um, and I think depression a lot of time comes before chronic illness. And so I felt it was a really important topic to speak on. Wow. And so look, I have to mention the year we've had, Yes, we're in a pandemic. We're in a collective trauma. As far as I'm concerned, um, that is just one layer of what has gone on this year. We we're also experiencing, um, you know, the pains of our fellows on a new level and really witnessing that and wanting to do something about it. And so how has you did all this work, right? You wrote this book two years ago. So you've done all of this work. How has this year been for you or what have you noticed in your clients? So it's so interesting. Everyone's like, you must be so much busier than normal. You might like what's going on with your clients. And for me, I actually don't see clients one-on-one anymore, but I teach and I have an assistant practitioner who does see clients. And I think that nothing has changed for my clients because my clients are really, really, really resilient. They've needed, they needed the tools long before this year. They understood isolation. They understood, um, you know, so many of the things that other people are just now figuring out, like being afraid, having to navigate the healthcare system, um, not knowing what sources to trust. I mean, this is this is something being uncertain about the future. Like these are all things that my clients and students have already been living. And so I think that my clients and students have been in a great place because they have the tools. They've been using the tools. This is not such a shock. I, I find that this has has rocked people more so that have not really gone through something big in their life. They've had the job that they've loved. Their health has been great. You know, they have a full-time nanny to take care of the kids. Like people like that have dropped to their knees because in some cases it's the first time they've had to overcome such huge obstacles. 
but my clients and students are my clients and students because they found me through the journey of needing the tools years ago or, you know, Mm -hmm. however long ago. And so it's kind of been interesting. I don't think I'm any busier. I think as I write more books, more people find me, but I don't think that the pandemic has changed the lives of my clients and students as much as maybe some other lives. And how has it affected you? Have you had any pockets of depression over the last year or any pockets um, of like discomfort? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had discomfort. <laughs> I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of trying to figure out how much of my voice is important in this time on certain topics that I wouldn't normally speak about. Um, in terms of, you know, I, my, my writing is very much about, um, spirituality and finding, you know, what we need inside to heal and thrive. And I, and I stand by all of that, but I've really come to a place where it's been important for me as a public figure and an author to acknowledge the socioeconomic, um, limitations and boundaries and challenges of people, um, maybe some of them who, many of them who don't read my books and to, to pair our trust with our path and our, you know, trust in the universe with reality. Because I think there's so much in, in this community about, you know, just think positive and trust the universe and, you know, take vitamin D and you don't have to worry about COVID. That's for people who, you know, who are scared, who are fearful. And I think Mm. as a just very middle of the road person, it's been really important for me to speak up and say, okay, but there's reality, there's, you know, there's, there's reality, there's what's happening around us. And I live in New York City. So I was, you know, while, while there were people in other places saying, you know, you know, everybody who's freaking out about COVID is, you know, just fearful or, you know, not trusting their own immune system. I was more like in the epicenter of like ambulances and, you know, all day, all night. It was, it was very different. And it made me even more aware. I've always been a very middle of the road person. I'm a middle child. I'm a Virgo. I'm very practical. So I've never been one of those people that, that denies pain or reality in, in favor of spirituality. That's never been, that's not my personality, but I have taken a stand even more so with my clients and students. And when I've spoken about how it is important that we, we allow for the reality and the pain that, that many of us are going through now and not, not, you know, trust the universe in a way or, or, you know, judge people who seem fearful, that type of thing. Amen. It's been sticky. It's a sticky sticky time right now. Amen though. That was beautiful. Yes. 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 And yes. Um, okay. So let's talk about what depression is for people. Okay. You have a real, you have really good examples in your book. You have really good definitions. So will you tell us what you, you started touching on it already, like depression of self and who you truly are. Will you talk just a little bit more about what depression really is? Sure. So from an energetic standpoint, and again, I'm very middle of the road because this doesn't mean that there aren't things going on on a chemical level, on a um, hormonal level, that it doesn't mean that nothing else contributes to depression. But I always, in my work and in my life, I always also look at the, the core of who we are. How, how is what's going on inside influencing our hormones, influencing our, you know, our, our chemical, you know, balance or imbalance, our, our physical self. And so what I, what I, what I see from an energetic standpoint and from sort of a soul level is that depression is the literal depression, depression of self. It happens when we become buried under our own lives, stresses, traumas, when we become disconnected from who we are. And a lot of that can happen when we favor the needs and wants of others above ourselves. And that is something that I've seen across the board in clients, students, friends, family who have experienced depression is sort of this core belief of I don't matter or I don't matter as much as X, Y, and Z, or I don't matter as much as, you know, someone else or other people. A lot of times, especially with women, this can show up in self-sacrifice, like huge self-sacrifice, not, not, um, 
not being attentive to our own lives, to our own needs, to our own wants. That's where depression can really show up because when we stop being attentive to our own lives, our own needs and our own wants, we come we become disconnected from who we are, really are. And if we're not tuned into those needs and wants of our lives, there's no spark in us left anymore. That's what drives us, what we need and what we want. Those two things drive us in life essentially. And when we ignore those or become disconnected from those because life is too much and there's trauma and stress and you know all of these other things, um, it can really depress us, push us down, which is the literal the literal um, definition of depression is to push down. So that's sort mm. of how I see depression. Mm. Yeah. In, in your book, the quote is, <clears throat> you say depression is the result of the real problem, getting separated from ourselves and therefore losing our connection to life. Yes. I just want to say, I actually had this experience this weekend. Um, because I think it might help people to under like see an actual example. And yeah. I, I noticed the example because I read your book and I was like, this is it. Right. Um, I mean, I totally connected with this, but to have, to have a moment where it happened. Mm -hmm. So this weekend I signed up for a training that, um, this past weekend that I was kind of excited about, but like was really kind of doing it for other reasons mm. out of fear, you know, out of like yeah. this thing or that thing, or like from my lower self, let's say I made the decision okay. and it was like all day long and I had to be up at 6am and by Saturday and I worked all week. And by Saturday afternoon, I was kind of like, I feel weird. Like I feel depressed. I think I feel sad. I feel dark. I feel, uh. and then on Sunday night after the class, I was writing and I was like, why am I feel? why have I been so off? And I was like, oh, because my truest self didn't really want to take this course. Yeah. It wasn't totally in alignment. And I was like, and that's what I depressed myself. Yes, that totally makes sense. And it's almost like I've found that it's different when you have to do something like there are, so, you know, there are always times in our life where we have to have a job we don't want. We have to have, we right. have to go somewhere. Like I make this really clear in my work that it's like, okay, our needs and wants and desires are really important, but sometimes you have to do shit you don't like to do because you're an adult. So you can't live your life a hundred percent in alignment with who you are all the time. That's just, I feel not reality, but these instances, this instance you're talking about, you had a choice, you were misaligned and went against who you really were. And that is almost a greater offense to the mind, body, and spirit than had you have had to do that for some reason and showed up, even though you didn't feel like it, your body probably really felt that because it was really telling you that that wasn't going to work for you. Yes. Yes, totally. And it got me to, I was going to do a different one this coming weekend and it got me to just reschedule it, Yeah, you know, to be like, oh yeah, that's just not right. So anyway, I love that. And I think it's so accurate. And I want to hear about like, you have a symptom list in the book of, and I think it's interesting. How can people know if they're depressed? Like what's, what symptoms might show up if you're disconnected from yourself? Yeah. So it can come up as physical or emotional symptoms, but feeling agitated, feeling tired is a huge one. Feeling just drained of all your life force energy can be a depression um, energy feeling very up and down, or I don't necessarily like the word moody, but that's the word that people resonate with feeling moody, like just like you're swinging from one end of the spectrum to another. Um, anxiety can also be another one feeling on edge all the time. It can be, um, sort of a depressive, uh, a depressive symptom. Um, there are, I mean, there are so many, but those are the ones that come to mind as far as the ones I see most often, um, but really like being tired, drained, kind of not caring can sometimes come up as like, you're not necessarily sad or you don't feel like you resonate with depressed, but you also don't care. You're kind of indifferent. And that mm. can be a lot of times you're disconnected from who you are, what you want, what excites you, what, what fulfills you. And you just don't care. You just, and there's nothing kind of there driving you. 
Great. And two of the symptoms I really remember from the book, cause they stood out to me. One was having trouble making decisions. Yes. And another one was along those same lines, not being able to get in touch with your own opinions and feelings about things. Yes. Yes. That is losing connection to yourself. That right. is, it all comes back to losing connection to yourself and, and feeling like you can't make a decision can be a little bit of an anxiety too, but, but anxiety and depression are sort of like different sides of the same coin and people can oscillate between the two, but yeah, just feeling that is a disconnection from yourself. You always know to some extent what you want or need. And when you, and I used to have this mantra, this was one of my worst habits is always saying, I don't know. When somebody would ask me like, what do you want? Or what is it? How do you feel? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And it became a mantra that I repeated and I realized that my, I don't know was because I didn't want to disappoint anybody. It was too overwhelming for me to, to feel into what I knew and make Mm. a decision because I really didn't want anybody to be upset. I was like people pleaser times a million. And Mm. so now what I tell people is if you really want to know how you feel, ask yourself, and I have these a bunch of questions in the book, but ask yourself how you would feel if no one would ever care or find out how you felt. Like if, if you have a choice between A and B and you don't know which one to do and no one would ever care, like you choose, no one would have an opinion about it one way or another, what would you choose? And that usually helps with clarity because what we are so afraid of is knowing something that somebody else might not like. Right. Right. I love that. I love that. Removing the other person from it. Beautiful. So let's talk about, um, we're going to shift to healing. How do we heal? Right. Here's one of my favorite quotes from your book. Another one. The good news is that you don't have to be stress free and in a Zen like state in order to start healing, but you've got to give up the fight of trying to not be where you already are. The energy of fighting and the energy of healing are opposing energies. I hate that. It's so annoying, but it's so true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When I saw clients regularly, they would be so mad at me because there's this whole, you know, idea of surrender. And I would say, you just can't hate where you are this much and then move forward. It's just not, I would say it's so annoying, but it's just not going to work. And um, it is true. Healing and pushing or fighting are opposing energies and you just can't, you're just going to be in a gridlock. And so I always say that it's okay and it's good to want to move forward, but you also can't need to move forward right this second. Like I get people, I get emails from people that will say, you know, I'm bedridden. I can't, you know, eat anything. I have no energy. I need, you know, help with all my daily activities, but I need to heal so I can get back to work. And it's like, okay, I totally get that. But you first need to be able to get out of your bed. Right. So it's that energy of really fighting where you are. And like, You can't go from depressed to happy instantly. You can't go from bedridden to healed in a moment. You have to sort of baby step your way there or take micro movements, which is how I describe it in the book. Um, But I get so many of those emails where it's like the thing that they're saying they had to do yesterday is like you have like a hundred steps in between now and that, and it will just help you to stop focusing on, I have to go to work tomorrow when you can't feed yourself. Like that's not... Like, let's just admit that's not reality, as painful as that might be, and surrender to what is reality, which is, I feel shitty now, but this is where I am. And it makes such, I feel like it releases all of this healing energy that you can then move forward with when you stop fighting. Oh my God. Yes. It's totally my experience on my own journey. My, it's one of the, the reason I pulled it out is because it's one of the things I see all the time from people too. And I, I was the same way when I first got sick, it was all just about getting back to my old life Yeah, tomorrow, now, today, yesterday. I get it. Yeah. And I like, couldn't hold my own head up. Like there was no. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Right. And it's like in a fight, tell like my students in a fight between you and reality, reality will win. Like I just care. I'm like, sorry, but that's just what it is. You will not win. So if you just 
surrender to what is just for now. You don't have to surrender to I'll be this way forever. But if you surrender to the reality of what is right now, I just feel like all this healing energy, like all this energy is released. Yes. Being tied up. And then it can actually go to what you want it to instead of fighting reality, which is useless. Right. Right. So there we are at the first step. And I love the other part of this quote that you don't have to be stress-free. We don't have to be stress-free to heal. So, so here we are now, all of your books are heal yourself when no one else can. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about what is self-healing because there's a little bit of flack in the industry, the wellness industry going around right now about how there's someone in particular that's getting a lot of flack about this. And there's an idea that it can be really destructive to preach self-healing. And I think you and I both agree with that. And there's, I want you to just give us the, what you see as self-healing. So self-healing doesn't mean do it alone. It doesn't mean do it without medicine. It doesn't mean do it without practitioners. It doesn't mean do it without doctors. It does not mean anything like that. It means do the part of healing that no one else can do but you. That's it. Beautiful. It doesn't mean do it alone. And I am one of those people that's like, it's really interesting. I tell this story for, um, so Sanjeev Chopra, who is Deepak Chopra's brother, but also a, a gifted leader and, and um, physician at Harvard, um, endorsed my book, endorsed a few of my books now. And when I asked him for an endorsement, he wrote me back. Usually when you get an endorsement, you ask for an endorsement, you send the PDF of your book, they read it, and then they write you back and they say, yes, I align with this. Here's your endorsement or no. He said, can I call you? And I was like, oh gosh, I was so like, I admire him so much. He's such a fantastic thought leader and doctor. It's like, okay. And he asked me a bunch of questions because he was worried about this. He was worried about what you're saying, where, where there are people in the, the, the community, the industry, however you want to say it, that were pushing self-healing in a way that isn't beneficial, that isn't healthy, that isn't, that isn't, that isn't positive. And he asked me all these questions. Well, if somebody had this and then they said, and their doctor said this, what would you tell them to do? Could they self-heal then? And I was so nervous. I was like sweating because I wasn't, didn't know what he was at, you know, what he was looking for. And at the end he said, okay, you passed here. I'll give you an endorsement. (laughs) Because when he asked me certain questions, you know, if this happened or this happened, what would you do? Would you go to the doctor? Would you do energy work? He's like, I would go to the doctor. I still do that. Like, I am not... I am not, you know, against medicine, against vaccines, against like, I I just feel like we need all of it. Like, I think we can depend on science and we can depend on ourselves. And I think we are smarter, healthier people when we depend on both. That's my personal view. Um, Also, you know what? It's too much freaking pressure to put on yourself that you have to do it all. Why? It's also too much pressure to put on a doctor that they have to do it all. Totally. I think it's exactly that. It's like, I love what you said. Self-healing is is basically taking responsibility for the part that only you can do. Right. A doctor can't get inside of you and- They can't come home with you. Yes, they can't come home with you and they can't come inside side of you and, and reach your, the parts of you that need to be healed from trauma. They can't change the way you respond to stress. You can help yourself change. So it is really about doing the part that, that no one else can do for you. And then using the supportive practitioners and doctors and medications or supplements or whatever you want to do to also help support your body. And I am one of those people that I use energy work and emotional work for everything, but guess what? When I like, you know, have really bad cramps that time of month for, you know, my, my cycle, I take Advil because Advil is like one of the best inventions known to man. And that's okay. If I take (laughs) Advil for two days, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know where, I don't know where our society and our healing community lost track of like what's reasonable and (laughs) middle of the road. I don't know what, especially this year, I don't know what happened, but it's, um, yeah. It's important to talk about because it's too much, it's too stressful, and it's not helpful to be totally one way or another. Yes. Amen. This is why I love talking to you so much. Yes. We're (laughs) on the same page. Yes. Yes. (laughs) 
Okay. So with that, what is your three-step approach to energetically healing depression? So one, so, so the most important, well, maybe not the most important, but I want to talk about the part that, that feels biggest to me, which is essentially releasing the stuff that's depressing you. That can be patterns, that can be trauma, that can be your relationship with stress. It is all of the stuff that you feel buried under. And that is the part that I think needs the most emphasis. It's working with the fight, flight, or freeze, uh, the fight, flight, or freeze dynamic in the body to calm that response, to reset your nervous system. It's letting go of the stress. And it's changing patterns in your life. Those are the three things that I focus on with people. The last part is a little bit newer to my work. I've always talked about changing patterns, having good boundaries, listening to your body, making decisions for your life instead of letting, you know, fate decide for you. But this book is more emphatic about that than ever, because I've realized that people who are in this community of self-healing and spirituality and trusting the universe actually give up their own free will in favor of just like leaving it up to, I don't know what, chance, fate. And so I feel like it's important to talk about letting go of stress and trauma, changing patterns, calming the nervous system, but also really as part of the pattern of your life that you need to change, it is deciding your life for yourself when and if you are able. Okay. And Hang on. Yeah. Because we're yes. going to do so much with that because <laughs> that is, I, I agree. And that's like my favorite. I want to dive into that. Yes. But before we dive into that, the first two parts really about the releasing, this is the, the, I, I want to hear a little bit more about like energy therapy, why yes. it works. Tapping, tapping is something you talk about in all of your books. Yeah. So can you just talk, give us a little yeah, a bit about that? Definitely. So the energy work or the energy therapy is the tool to, to transform all the areas we've talked about as far as getting out of getting unstuck, which is linked to the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism in the body which is also linked to self-sabotage, which many of us know about, um, and releasing trauma, stress, emotions, and changing beliefs. Those first two parts are, are linked into energy therapy very closely because energy therapy is the tool we use to access the body and help us change and let go. And energy therapy is based on that we all have an energy system in our body and that by releasing stuck energy and balancing the energy system, we can let go of what no longer serves us. So instead of having strong emotions like anger, grief, fear, and talking about them all day to try to overcome them, we're actually going into the energy system to release them, the stuck energy from the body. So that's where energy therapy comes in. And many people know various forms of energy therapy. Acupuncture is a type of energy therapy. Um, Reiki is a type of energy therapy. The type of energy therapy I do and teach is called energy psychology, which is essentially using energy work in relationship to thoughts, beliefs, and emotions. So it's changing the emotional part of ourselves. Whereas Reiki is done usually on you or for you and, and releasing any stuck energy. I don't do anything like that. No hands-on work. This is all about transforming what I call our inner landscape, our thoughts, emotions, and beliefs. And so using these tools, like tapping is one of them, but I also have the sweep technique, which helps sweep blocks out of the subconscious mind. Um, using all of my techniques, essentially, we are releasing stuck energy that, that is causing us to react to stress, hold on to trauma, not be able to let go of our emotions. Beautiful. Perfect. So I do want to talk a little bit about the sweep script. Actually, yeah. so there's tapping, there's many different forms of tapping, and there's this juicy sweep script that everybody's you, favorite <laughs> that you wrote. Okay, yeah. now you talk about this in the other books that I've read of yours, but this time I decide I'm on a I, one of the things I'm really working on right now is peace, is a more peaceful mind. Right. Like my mind can get really, my brain and body can get noisy. And when my brain gets noisy, my body gets noisy. 
right? right? So I've been using the sweep script for two different beliefs and I've been doing it every day. Good for you. I was like, I'm just going to, well, I do it like five times a week, which That's is like That's basically serious. every day. So I will, let you, I will let you count that as every day. <laughs> Thank you. So, so I just went for it this time. I tried to do other things. Like here's something I did and this might help readers. I took a bunch of your tools and I was like, these are the ones I feel really drawn to and I want to use. And I decided to, to use them. And some of them just fell off. Right. Mm -hmm. And the one that stuck for me was the sweep script. And that is the way I find myself find my tools a lot is I'm like, I'll try a bunch of these on, see what sticks, see what I love. Mm -hmm. And the sweep script really stuck for me. So the sweep script is about releasing everything you're talking about is getting unstuck, releasing old energy, tired energy that is no longer serving us. And the sweep script for me is very belief oriented. So you talked about thoughts, emotions, and beliefs, right? Yeah. So talk a little bit about beliefs and writing the sweet script and, and why we need to clear beliefs. Yeah. So beliefs are how I originally, uh, well, why I originally created the sweep script. But now in this book, I actually teach people how to use it for any stuck energy because I want people to be able to use my tools in a variety of ways because I feel like that will be how most people use them, but I still mostly use it for beliefs as well, because that's how its original creation came about. So beliefs are things we believe that are not necessarily true. Things like I'm not good enough. Things like I'll never get better. Things like I don't matter. Things like everything's easy for everybody but me. So they are things we believe based on our perceptions and experiences and programming that aren't necessarily true. Now, they have, beliefs have been shown to actually direct our behavior in life and also affect our physiological behavior, physiological response. So beliefs are really important because they are sort of the boss of us. Um, Whatever we believe, we seek subconsciously to fulfill. And so if you believe something that isn't helpful to believe, you want to use the sweep to, to release it. Because can you imagine the difference in your life and your career and your family, your relationships? If if you typically walk around thinking, I don't matter, I don't matter, I don't matter. And then you change that programming and your new belief is I do matter. Can you imagine all the, how every interaction in your life would change with relationships, with your, your work, with your health? It just makes such a difference. And so I have pages and pages of beliefs that can be cleared in the book. And the sweep is really great because it's just a script you read. You don't do anything. You don't tap. You don't have to really think of anything in particular. You just read it. And um, beliefs are sort of my like jackpot or my gold mine of like coming to health because I realized I believed so many crazy crappy things. And I say that very lovingly, but I was like, how did all of that get in there? But a lot of it is programmed from when we're young actually before the age of seven. And then we grow up and we're like in our thirties or our sixties or whatever. And we're like, Ooh, I still believe like things a seven-year-old believe it's terrifying. (laughs) I try not to think of it too much. Um, So I have all these suggestions on what beliefs people might clear in terms of what's holding them back. And that's what the sweep script is for. It's awesome. And yeah, so there, there, it's really our subconscious, right? It's operating from our subconscious and one of the beliefs I found in this journey, I was doing a bunch of like, what are my beliefs, right? What are some of the deeper beliefs? I've done a lot of belief work, but I, I just was going deeper. And I realized that I have my inner child, stay with me, everyone, is- <laughs> I'm is, with you, you know. <laughs> thank you. Is, <laughs> is afraid of me being 100% healthy mm. because if I'm 100% healthy, I might not pay attention to Mm. her and her needs. And there's this thing where it's like the sicker I am, the more I pay attention to myself, right? I'm going to be like, oh, we need to lay down. We need to cancel that plan. We need to say no to that person, set boundaries, eat healthier, right? So there's this belief inside of me that keeps me stuck that says like, without sick, will you pay attention to me and take care of me? 
Right. Which is actually really common. There's, there's one that's really common along those same lines, which is I can't say no, unless I'm sick. Exactly. Like even to myself, I can't say no, but it's easier, right. To be like, I'm not going to have that gluten that I know I don't feel good after because it will hurt my body versus just making that choice or right. whatever. So, so common. I, so common. So common. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Or I'm not going to say no to that event or that person. And, and, and no is a big one too. I don't know if that comes up for you, but, um, but that's a big one is just saying no to the things we don't want or aren't able to do yeah. in whatever way that shows up, not just events, but even I find like a lot of times just talking on the phone is just not my thing or it's exhausting. And it's how, how do you say to somebody, I don't want to talk on the phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like those little things. It's not even just about going somewhere. It's like, yeah, there's all these no's that need to be said in life. And it's, it's yeah. tough. Or a friend who's having a hard day and you're like, I don't have space for it. I yes. love you. And no, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it gets radical. So I've been using the sweep script for that and it's been really, really helpful. So I just wanted to, um, to throw that out there and there's so many more tools you have to check it out. And what I really want to get to, which is what you were talking about is this lifestyle piece. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this, there's a chapter, <laughs> You have a chapter called Creating Lasting Change, or it's a part yeah. of the book, right? Yeah. And under that, I just circled it and said, just do a whole segment on this chapter title. <laughs> yes, yes. Because we sometimes do all the work that's sort of quiet and spiritual and feel good. But then we don't want to do the part that's like, okay, now you got to stand up for your own life. Now you have to commit to your own joy. Now you have to like create and follow your boundaries. Like that stuff's really hard. Yes. And it takes bravery. I think it's very brave and it's, yes. it is the scarier stuff. It's not so scary to sit down and read a script, uh, a sweet script three times. No. Right. And nobody knows it doesn't bother anybody else. This right. life stuff is where people get bothered and then you have to deal with that. And that's tough, you know? Right. But decision-making, boundary-making, listening to your body, all of those are, are pieces of that. And I do find, um, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, but I'll tell the story here because it's, it's so important. I get so many emails every year that start off and say, you know, I'm in a toxic relationship and I feel, you know, this person doesn't, doesn't, you know, hear me and I feel this and I feel that. What energy work should I do? And I'm always like, I have to write back and be like, okay, if you are able physically, financially realizing people's limitations, you should get out of the relationship. <laughs> like that, you know, the energy work can help you gain confidence to do that, but also you can make a decision to do the thing for your life that you need to do to be safe, to be healthy, to be happy. So I mean, I don't usually use this term, but there's a lot of talk about spiritual bypassing and that's exactly what this is. It's, it's, it's doing the spiritual work or the energy work or the meditation in order to avoid what you need to do, what actions you need to take for your own life. And I see it more and more as the sort of spirituality um, arena grows, I guess, where people are, are finding comfort in it, but then it becomes such a way of life that they forget that they could just take action. Like sometimes for me, even I'll feel overwhelmed by all the stuff I have to do. So it's like, oh, I really need to, you know, tap on that. And then sometimes I just think, no, I should just get up and go do the thing. Like <laughs> I don't need to tap on my overwhelm unless I'm, unless I'm literally frozen in overwhelm and like, I can't, like, I'm really feeling stuck. No, I should just get up and answer my emails or I should just get up and do my taxes. Like that would be so much faster and better. Like sometimes we forget when we're spiritual people and we've been using these tools that we can also just do stuff. <laughs> right? So that's sort of the last part of the book. And I call it my tough love chapter, but I think it's needed. And I think in my previous books, um, I was so gentle, which I think is also important. But in this book, I'm like, all right, now you've done all this work and you have to do what you have to do for your life. And there is no, there is no substitute for it. There is no tapping or right. know, sweep. There's no tapping or sweeping you can do to substitute 
getting out of a relationship that no longer works, you know, try, you know, and again, we all have limitations and I want to be so sensitive to that, but when, and if you are able, you have to do what you have to do. Yes. Yes. And I have really found in my own journey, Amy, that, you know, the beginning of my journey with healing was all about gentleness because Mm. I was so hard on myself. And that's Mm. really common that there's, there's no self-compassion and self-love in people that are starting out. And that is the foundation. Yeah. And then the further along I got, the more I needed to start balancing between just do it and just know, like, no, we're not going to go there right now. Like a tough love voice with myself Yes, and the gentleness. Yeah. I had that too, because I was so self-critical that one of my huge sort of challenges was learning to be kind to myself. But then I realized that I can be a person who doesn't push myself when I need to, because I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to like push myself or if I don't feel like it, I shouldn't do it. And then it's like that that causes another problem. And again, there's there's room for it all. Like there's room for Eastern medicine and Western medicine. There's room for self-compassion and there's room for for calling yourself to your greatness. Like there's room for all of it, you know? Yeah. And in fact, similar to like using the doctors and the energy medicine, there's not just room for all of it, but using all of it is really ideal. Yeah. And it takes the pressure off. Like why put the pressure on one thing when there's all these different things you can do in your life? Like if I'm super, super stressed out about doing some things and I can, you know, sit there and tap, well, it might be that actually doing the thing would relieve me of the stress a lot faster than, you know, a half hour of energy work so that I wasn't so stressed about doing it. Like, of course, this is very situational. It depends on what it is, but like sometimes just get up and do the thing and you'll feel better. That's right. It is situational and yeah. and it is up to you to learn, like, what do I need right now? Do I need to sit and soothe or do I need to get up and do it? Yes. So you say, I see this work as a lifestyle of paying attention to yourself and your needs and attending to them when you need to at last. Girl. (laughs) (laughs) It's the lesson. It's, it's the, it's the lesson. So this is how we create lasting change. Now, what are some of the roadblocks for people? I mean, I think one of the biggest roadblocks is people pleasing, overhelping, overextending our energy. Um, A lot of it is, are those beliefs, those stuck emotions and, and such. Um, But, you know, those throughout the book, I teach you how to clear. So by the time you get to the the last part, you should feel pretty um, grounded in yourself and who you are. Um, But people, I mean, we, we have challenges to do it to, to everything, but I think a lot of it is, is this fear at the end of the day of being unloved or unliked or rejected based on living our lives for ourselves. Mm. And it's mm. a ter- it's a terrifying predicament. It's a terrifying predicament that we might live our lives for ourselves in a way that doesn't work for anybody else. And I think there are compromises. Like there's so much right now too about like live your life for yourself. You have to be you. That's true, but you also have to do shit you don't want. You also have to be nice sometimes when you don't want to. Like I think there can be a mix of it. I think that if you if you take it so literally, it's too overwhelming to do. Like I live my life for me and I live my life in alignment. And sometimes I say, you know what? I'm going to step out of alignment for 15 minutes because I have to make this annoying call. And then that's fine. Like I don't want to put too much weight on everything. I sometimes have clients or students that say, but I feel so out of alignment with you know, having to go to the grocery store. I hate (laughs) doing that. It's like, well, you'll feel more out of alignment with starving. Like, you know what I mean? Like you need to eat. So we can't, like, I just feel like, like, just find your middle, find your middle. It's so important. Yes, 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 yes. And, and it's really interesting. I tell my clients a lot, like when I'm living life for me, I disappoint people. Mm-hmm. I don't harm people, right? Like we don't, right. we don't live life for ourselves at the risk of d- destruction. Yes, totally. Right? So totally. it's like, I'm still cognizant that there are other people in the world and there's a difference between disappointing somebody and harm. And often we, people pleasers, my, I am a I am an amazing, oh God, if I have to You're please so somebody, good at I know, it, I'm, I'm so good at it. And it's I like, can relate. 
Again, it's like, and that comes in handy sometimes. Yes. <laughs> like if I, you know, if I disappoint somebody as a people pleaser, sometimes I think I'm really harming them or hurting them. And that's yeah. just not true. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think it's true for ourselves too. Like, so like we, I think this is so interesting. This happened to me through experiencing Lyme disease. I ended up seeing myself as like this very delicate, like I had to be so careful with myself and I couldn't do this, that, or the other thing. And I had to like attend to every single one of my needs. And I didn't want to come out of alignment once. And like sometimes, and this is where, where I am in my life now, it's like, I take the path of least resistance. I take the path of least resistance. So and I tell clients to do this too. You know, there's a cl client, you know, somebody suggests they get an x-ray and they're so like, I don't know about x-rays because of, you know, radiation and do I really need the x-ray? And I always say, it depends on how you feel. But for me, I would be so like, then if you don't get the x-ray, what are you going to do? Then you're going to, are you still going to be in pain? Are you still going to be questioning? Are you going to be anxious about what the x-ray would have told you? What's the path of least resistance? For me, with, with medicine and with like Western medicine, it's sometimes just like, do the thing, I'll survive the x-ray. It's not like, the, you know, the end of the world. I'm not somebody who typically takes antibiotics, especially because I took years of antibiotics, which who knows did what to my system uh -huh. um, with Lyme disease. But if I felt like I wanted to now, I would take, I mean, I haven't in, in at least a decade or more, but if I wanted to, I wouldn't become so caught up in not taking antibiotics. If four days of antibiotics would help something that something else wasn't. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, yeah, it's an example in Western medicine, but it's also like a lot of this is true with, you know, with our current time with COVID and, and like, I'm just finding like, what's the path of least resistance to get back to living a life as a society that feels good. Like there are people who are so against masks. For me, I'm like, I don't, I put the mask on, I go out in the, like, for me, I don't understand that. But that's, but for me, it's also the path of least resistance. I wear a mask, I get to go do stuff. Right. I wear a mask, I don't worry about harming anybody else. So it's, it's finding your way. But I always say the path of least resistance is a good place to shine your light on because that helps you get clarity outside of fear. What feels easiest and best to me, even if it's against, or even if I have to put my fears aside, helps you find what truly feels good. And what truly feels good is going to be best for your mind and body. Right. Right. Beautiful. So in this book about depression, why do boundaries get a whole chapter? Because <laughs> they needed one. They needed yeah. one. And I think boundaries, I mean, so many people are talking about boundaries because so many people are talking about empaths. And I had such an incredibly shocking realization about being an empath that I needed to write about it, which is that my conscious boundaries or lack of conscious boundaries, lack of being able to say no, directly impacted my being an empath. Mm. So prior to realizing, wait, I actually have no boundaries for myself. I thought I'm empathic. I'm sensitive. I can't handle anything. I pick up on the emotions of people around me. What I realized is that conscious boundaries, saying no, deciding what's yours and what's other, helps to support the physical body. So you, I don't believe that there's somebody that's empathic that doesn't also have a lack in making boundaries for themselves. And when I started having better mm. conscious boundaries, when I made the choice that I'm just going to say no, guess what? My being an empath affected me in a much lesser way. So they feed each other. Being an empath makes it hard to set boundaries, but when you set boundaries, it's better for your energetic body. And I right. have had less issues being an empath as far as picking up on other people's emotions, so much so since deciding, wait, I've got to do something on behalf of us. I can't just go out in the world and be like, I absorb everything. <sighs> I'll do energy work. 
I'll protect myself. I'll close my eyes and picture light around me. Those things are all helpful tools, but you also got to say no. Right. You also got to do the things that create boundaries. I feel in many ways, we as conscious speaking, living beings, we are the leaders and our energetic body follows, not Mm -hmm. the other way around. And that was a misunderstanding I had for a long time, which is why I felt so out of control as an empath. It was really taken down by everybody else's stuff. But the more I say no, guess what? The more other people's stuff does energetically can't sort of penetrate my system. Right. And for me, I, I am sure you relate to this, but I even took it a step further. It wasn't just that I would absorb it energetically. I really like gave myself the honor of being the president of people's emotional life. Like I was just like, you're sad. No one else can hold this for you. I'm going to hold it it for you. You're, you're having anxiety. Come to my couch, lay on my couch. Like I really felt like I can do this for people. So I should. Yes, totally. And so learning, like I can do this for people, but I don't want to. Yes, (laughs) totally. It's so important. I had that same realization. Like I feel like I am like the best person to come to in the world. If you ever are having a meltdown, like I am right. so good, I will hold <laughs> you up, but just because I'm so good at it, like I'm also really good at like cooking and I don't want to do it every night. You know what I mean? Like right. just because you're good at something doesn't mean you are obligated to it. So I love that you share that because I've had the same experience where it's like, wait, I can be the best person um, at it. Like, you know, I'm also a Virgo. So I think I do things really well because that's uh-huh. a Virgo trait. <laughs> so I am really good at it, but that doesn't mean I have to do it. There are other people that can do it too. Like it's including, such a- Including the individual who's upset, Yeah. yeah. right? Totally. So it's like, we can hold ourselves and it doesn't serve somebody to show them like, I'll always hold you in this right. moment. Right. And I challenge any, any empath to have better conscious and verbal boundaries and not feel better energetically. Like that is set, that was the key that I missed because there's so many books and so many people talking about how empaths are just pick everything up and they have to shield themselves and, and they don't talk about what you can do again. What can you do? What action can you take to take some kind of empowering stance in your own life and staying away, um, deciding this isn't for me. You know, sometimes, you know, I live in New York city where it's, it's hard sometimes to walk around, especially the more poverty stricken areas. And I do what I can. I donate to food banks. I, you know, whatever. Sometimes when I'm walking down the street, I look the other way. If I see something upsetting, I look the other way because years ago that would have felt horrible to me, but when I do as much as I can in a certain way and I've hit my limit, I just, it's an act of self-care to not tune directly into everything. And that's what we're talking about. Right, right. And boundaries are also your admittance to yourself that your your admission to yourself that you have limitations. Yes. It's, it's drawing a line in the sand around yourself and saying, this is mine and that's yours. And that's yeah. okay. Just like we have stuff, other people can be trusted with their own stuff too. Right. Beautiful. So we're getting to the end and I just want to ask you, Amy, I see a through line between your books and I might be wrong about this, but the through line I see for you, what you talk about when you talk about radical healing, depression, anxiety, physical health, all of it goes together and all of it is separate. What I see is that you really talk about the healing is in living authentically. Yes. Is that true? It's true. It's being yourself. It's it's so simple. I don't know why it becomes so complicated for us. I mean, I do know why, but it's just being who you really are and being okay with that. It's Beautiful. Being human. It's being human. Right. So from this moment forward, for people who are listening that are in depression, that are struggling with depression right now, or maybe just in this moment are like, I think I do have depression. What do you suggest? I mean, obviously get your book, right? And start doing the work. And I don't want you to walk away from this episode thinking like, oh, that was great information. Now I'm going to go on with my life. Like we do with most podcast episodes. (laughs) I want you to take action starting today. So Amy, what do you suggest they do take to take action today? So I, 
I think one of the starting points for healing deeply and making what you heard today make a difference for you is telling yourself the truth. What is the truth of your life right now? What do you feel? Are you depressed? In what ways are you not holding boundaries? What story have you been telling yourself that's kind of bullshit and that you, not by any fault of your own, but just old programming? And, and this is one of the things I talk about in the book, but tell yourself the truth because you cannot heal anything from any place other than the truth. It doesn't mean you have to act on it right now. If you tell yourself the truth and the truth is kind of scary, you don't have to do anything with that, with it. But the acknowledgement of the truth is really how you feel, where, what you need to work on, what hasn't been working for you, how you've been depressed or suppressed, what's burying you. If you can start with the truth, you'll have a path. Mm, I'm like, what is the truth that I'm not telling myself? Is there one today? I mean, I do this with myself a lot because once you start doing this work, Amy, I don't know if you, I'm sure you have this experience. It becomes really hard to not tell yourself the truth at some point. You know that you're lying to yourself. Yeah. You feel it and you're like, oh, yes. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. No, not Um, always. That's beautiful. And that's one of your promises in the book. It's like yes. promise, promise to yourself. Number one, tell yourself the truth. Yes. And also people come to me or write to me and they say that they're confused and they don't know how they feel. And a lot of times that's just a cover up because you're afraid of the truth. The, the, the feeling inside is I don't know the truth and I don't know the truth because I'm too afraid to know it. Yeah. So, so it is really important to start listening to that or start acknowledging it. And again, you don't have to do anything with it today, but just see once you know the truth, where that leads you next. I tell people a lot. I wonder if you agree with this, that we are powerless over our truth. Like, I think my truth is divine and it's something I just, if I had power over who I fell in love with, for example, yeah. I don't know that I would have chosen Ian. I mean, I love him, but like yeah. <laughs> if I had total power over yes. in love with us, thank or, goodness we don't. We think, probably screw up our lives if we controlled them too much, right? Thank God we don't <laughs> really. Right. And if I had total power over, you know, if I wanted to have children, like that's a truth that's just in me. Like, I don't yeah. know if I have power over that. Mm. And I, there's just like, whether I'm happy with something or unsatisfied with something, I don't have total power over that. It's just this, this, this like guttural reaction in my body and it might be okay for somebody else. Right. But it's not okay for me. And that's how I know that I just have this North star, this guidance inside that I'm not totally in control of. Yes. Yes. And I always tell people if they, if they feel like they don't know the truth and they ask themselves a question, is something a yes or no for me? And it's a, I don't know. It's usually a no. Like with Mm -hmm. decision-making, is this the right person for me? Is this the right job for me? Unless it's a strong yes, unless it's a yes, 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 it's probably a no. And sometimes it takes practice. If you've been ignoring your truth or you've been disconnected from it, it is hard to know sometimes, but if you really tune in, you can figure it out. Right. And what you've been saying through this whole episode is like, and there might be a time where you're like, no, this job isn't right for me. And it's paying the bills right now. And I'm staying right. So it's like, you know, there are still going to be times where you know that something is off for you and it's giving you something you need. So you're, you're in it. Right. And you can get in in alignment by recognizing that you can get in alignment with, I've gotten in alignment with plenty of things that, that I felt like becoming in alignment with it was actually the path of least resistance Mm -hmm. because fighting it based on principle or whatever, or whatever it is, wasn't working or reality. Again, we're back to reality, which seems to be our theme today. Um, But yeah, like if you have to stay in a job for now, then get behind it. What's the, what, how can you, how is that the path of least resistance? It's better than the stress about money. And and this is, this is again, so situational because thank God, you know, for the opportunity to take a leap and, you know, maybe leave a career that doesn't feel good and start over. All of that is important too, but depending on where you are, it's, it's, you have to figure out what your own truth and alignment is. And sometimes you can readjust your alignment, especially for a short period of time. So that it's the path of least resistance. 
Right. Right. Another big takeaway from today, I think is just that it is so situational and it is so individual and there's no, you know, there's no one answer for everybody. And this is really a journey within and of radical self-care and getting to know yourself, your North, what works for you, what doesn't work for you, Mm -hmm. um, getting unstuck, knowing your feelings, knowing what needs to be unstuck. It really, it really is an individual experience. So, On that note, for people to do even more research for themselves, where can people find you? So they can find me on my website, which is amybshare.com. I'm also on YouTube and Instagram and um, Facebook. I'm on Twitter, but I feel too old to know how to use it. (laughs) I always, I go on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, but I go on there once in a while and I'm like, it's too overwhelming for me. So the best places to find me are anywhere except Twitter. Um, <laughs> but there's lots of my website. There's lots, there's lots of free videos on YouTube. And then of course my books and most of my books I like to say are at libraries. For those of you who have access to libraries, most of my books are carried at libraries too. If you don't have the financial means to get a book, you're, you know, to keep. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank it's been you. such a pleasure to talk to you. So fun. And And thank you so much for listening to Healing Out Loud. Be sure to stay in touch through Instagram at shayjackie or jackieshay.com. And I hope you're able to implement some of these tools this week. And I can't wait to share more fun and love with you soon. Bye. Bye.